so in the first part of this uh, lecture today, uh, we established the, uh, that the song is from the greatest affairs of ibadah due upon the body as an actualization of the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. And we said that the manifestation of Tawheed within fasting is something that is emphasized and very prominent because of the very nature of this act of worship. And that Allah Azza wa Jal has specified for this act of worship something that we do not find for other actions of worship. It is done for the sake of Allah and Allah Azza wa Jal will reward for it in a way that is unlike other actions. We also established that Arriya, which is showing off, is something that doesn't really enter into this act of worship by its very, by its very nature. And then we looked at some of the other manifestations of Tawheed. We, we cited from numerous scholars in that regard. So all of that was the first half of our lecture today. And the second half of our lecture to, to carry on then from the first part, the first part where we emphasize the aspect of Tawheed, this now leads us to ask the question, what should a Muslim be looking to gain from every Ramadan, from his fasting? And there are three, well maybe four or five objectives There are in no particular order. Um, but there are four or five things that, are, that a Muslim should be seeking to take advantage of or to try and fulfill by way of his fasting. And because the very purpose of fasting is to acquire taqwa, to acquire piety, then a person has something by which to measure whether he has benefited from his fasting or not. And so these four or five things that we are going to mention, inshallah ta'ala, uh, perhaps you can use them as, as goals and objectives that you should increase in or that you should try to attain. And all of them, they all return back to our central theme, which is the aspect of Tawheed, the manifestation of Tawheed. So all of these are connected to the, to, the, to the general theme of our lecture, which is that everything that we're going to discuss is connected to Tawheed. It's a manifestation of Tawheed. So, the, so let's start with... Uh, this is the fourth point in our series. So the first point was that fasting is ibadah. Therefore it is an actualization of Tawheed. The second point was the aspect of ikhlas. That this is something that is more natural within fasting because of the very nature of this, of this, uh, of this act. So ikhlas relates to the Tawheed of Allah. Thirdly, we spoke of al-mutaba'ah, which is following the sunnah of the messenger of Allah this itself is tawheed because you are actualizing the command of Allah Azza wa Jal to follow his uh, messenger this is 
obedience to Allah. So this now is the fourth point in our series of points. So point number four, and this is ad-du'a, which is supplication. And we will see that a Muslim, generally he will make more du'a during the month of Ramadan than he, than he will at other times. And naturally speaking, this is because there is a virtue and an, as an, and an excellence uh, for du'a at specific times. So we want to speak about du'a itself and its connection to tawheed. So first of all, you know the hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, ad-du'a huwa al-ibadah. Ad-du'a, it is ibadah. It is the essence of worship. And when we return back to what the scholars have written, uh, you know, scholars like Ibn al-Qayyim, Ibn al-Taymiyyah, and a collection of other scholars, as to why ad-du'a is, is, the, 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 is the essence of worship, it is because ad-du'a has connected to it or around it so many other elements. So for example, the fact that you are making dua to Allah believes, uh, it indicates that you believe that he is singled out in benefit and harm. You only make dua to someone who has control and power over benefit and harm. Also because the heart itself at the point of making dua Within the heart, there is veneration of Allah Azza wa Jal. You are making ta'zeem of Allah. Allah is great in your heart. And likewise, you are hoping for Allah's response. Uh, you have raja. And likewise, in your heart, there is, there is a reliance upon Allah Azza wa Jal. You are making tawakkal upon Allah to bring about the effect that you desire. And so there, there are so many things that are taking place when a person is making dua that really ad-du'a calling out to Allah is, is the essence of what worship is because it has all these other elements which, which are part and parcel of it. So we see that in the Qur'an Allah has ordered that we call upon him. وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمُ دُعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ And your Lord has said, call upon me and I shall respond to you. Allah has ordered us to call upon him, not because he is in need of our dua. Rather, he is al-ghani. He is the one who is free of all need. So this shows that the command given to us to call upon Allah is for our benefit. Allah does not gain anything from his servants. Rather, he commands that which is of benefit to his servants. We are the fuqara. We are the ones who are in need. We are the ones who are needy. We are the ones who are in poverty. And so when he ordered us to make dua, he then promised that he shall respond. Astajib lakum. I shall indeed respond to you. And this response, this, this shows that a dua is always responded to. But that response can be in a number of ways. And that's why we see in the hadith, uh, which is related, an authentic hadith, in which the Messenger of Allah said, مَا مِنْ أَحَدٍ يَدْعُو بِدُعَاءٍ and then he continued, The Messenger of Allah said, There is no one who makes a dua except that Allah will give him what he asked for, or he will withhold or prevent from him an evil equivalent to it. So an evil 
equivalent to the good that he was making dua for. So long as he does not make dua for evil, for sin, or for cutting off of ties. So upon this, the scholars have explained that whenever a person makes dua, there are three outcomes that can take place. The first is that the dua will be answered by Allah in the life of this world. So he will, he will receive whatever he asked for. Secondly, if Allah does not answer that dua, then unknown to the servant, unknown to the servant, then he will withhold an evil or repel an evil from that servant. And thirdly, that if none of these takes place, then that servant will read, will, will, will receive a reward. He will be recompensed on the day of judgment, equivalent to whatever it was he was asking for, but he didn't receive in the life of the world. This means that by making dua to Allah, you will definitely be answered in any one of those ways. Either you will receive what you asked for, or an evil will be repelled from you, or on Yawmul Qiyamah, you will be recompensed for that dua. So this means that you have nothing to lose from making dua to Allah Azza wa Jal. In general, a believer should always be making dua. And when we read the statements from the Sahaba and the Tabi'een and the Salaf, we find from them an encouragement to make dua for everything, ask for anything. Every little thing, ask dua, make dua to Allah and ask for that thing. And then we see, when we reflect upon this even further, the scholars explain, we have some statements here from Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah ibn al-Qayyim rahimahumullah and uh, others. And we'll try to summarize the issue because there are, there are lengthy quotations. When we look at dua itself, dua is of two types. There is dua al-mas'ala. And there is dua ul ibadah. So when you make dua, either you are either you are making dua in the sense that you are asking something from Allah, either either a benefit or removing a harm. This now is mas'ala, you are asking for something in the worldly sense. Oh Allah repel this evil from me. Oh Allah cure this disease. Oh Allah grant me such and such. You're asking for a benefit. So either you are making either you are asking for something from Allah in the life of this world. Or you are making dua in the sense that it is ibadah, it is actually uh, worship in the sense that you are calling upon, calling upon Allah with fear and with hope. So at the point of making dua, your heart within it, there are emotions like fear and hope and aspiration and things of that nature. So what the scholars explain is that the dua of mas'ala, when you're asking for something, and the dua of ibadah, they are mutalaziman. They are binding to each other. The two affairs are binding to each other, they are connected. So when you make one, it is binding that you are making the other one. So here Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymi explains, he says that uh, just to summarize what, what he says, that when you call upon anything, you are only calling that thing because you believe 
that that thing or that person controls benefit and harm benefit and harm you can only ever be calling something or someone whom you believe has control over benefit and harm and this is what is a deity a deity is one that has control over benefit and harm that's why she was saying to me he says that everyone who has control over benefit and harm then uh, then that one is a ma'bud it is necessary that the one that such a one is a controller and owner of benefit and harm and that's why in the quran when you look at how allah he shows rejection against the mushrikeen you see that it is on the basis that those they are worshipping have no control over benefit and harm. By way of example, the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, وَلَا تَدْعُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَنْفَعُكَ وَلَا يَضُرُّكَ Do not invoke those besides Allah who can neither benefit you or that can neither harm you. وَيَعْبُدُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يُضُرُّهُمْ وَلَا يَنْفَعُهُمْ and they worship besides Allah those that do not harm them nor can benefit them. So Allah has negated here from those deities which are worshipped any control over harm and benefit either for themselves or for those besides them. And so this indicates that when a person is making dua you can only be making dua to someone about whom you believe has actual control over benefit and harm. And this is du'a'ul mas'ala. This is when you are asking for something. But connected to this has to be du'a'ul ibadah. Because when you ask someone for something, then you have to be hoping in that person. You have to have raja. And you have to have fear as well, hoping that the thing might be lost. So this is why these two affairs are binding to each other. Dua is dua'ul mas'ala and dua'ul ibadah. So let's give a scenario. A person, let's say he's, uh, let's say he's suffering from an illness and he makes dua to Allah Azawajal. Oh Allah, remove this illness for me and relieve me of this pain. So here the dua is dua'ul mas'ala. He's asking for something in the worldly sense, the, re the, the repelling of some harm. But by necessity connected to this has to be dua'ul ibadah. This is in the sense that his heart, at the time of making this request and asking this from Allah, his heart must be feeling and experiencing some emotions like hoping in Allah, hoping in a response from Allah, his heart being reliant upon Allah to bring him the effect, his heart being apprehensive and fearing Allah in case the dua is not answered. So it is binding that when one is made, then the other one follows. And likewise, when a person is making, you know, he's making dua al-ibadah, when his heart is experiencing the, these feelings, then clearly it is because he has a need and he's asking for something, his heart is wanting something. So the two things, as we see here from this speech of uh, Shaykh Al-Islam that the two things are binding. 
This now leads us to the ayah, back to the same verse that we mentioned. Allah Azawajal, he said, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي Another verse, sorry. فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِ إِذَا دَعَانِ When my servants ask you concerning me, then indeed I am close. I respond to the call of the supplicant when he calls upon me. So we see Ibn Taymiyyah, he says that this ayah, it applies to both types of dua. Both types of dua. And whichever way you want to explain this ayah, it means it has been said that Allah is saying, I will give him whatever he asked me, or I shall reward him because he worshipped me. Right? So in other words, the meaning of this ayah, Ujibu da'wata da'i idha da'an. That the one who calls upon me, I shall respond to the one who calls upon me. What does it mean? It means that either I will give him what he asked for. This is dua al-mas'ala, the dua of asking for something. Or Allah says, or Allah it means it responds, that I will reward him for him worshipping me. Which means that this means the dua of ibadah. So in any case, the, by way of the, these two verses, what Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah is saying, that in the Qur'an, the dua that we are speaking of, is of these two types. Either you are asking Allah for something, a benefit or removal of a harm, and at the time that you are doing it, it is binding that there is also the dua of ibadah, which is the heart you know, experiencing those actions of worship when it is actually making the dua. So these two things are binding. They are, they are connected together. So the point in all of this is to illustrate how this is obviously connected to Tawheed. When you are calling upon Allah, you are believing that He is the one who controls all benefit and harm and no one else does. Why? Because He is the creator of the asbab, of the ways, of the means, of the mechanisms, of the causes, of the effects. And everything that happens of provision, of food and drink, of illness, of health, and everything that takes place in the dunya, it is all by way of Allah and His qada and his qadr, and so he is the one who is in control, and this includes control of benefit and harm that comes to every single servant. So the issue of dua in, in a general sense is clearly connected to tawheed, and dua is from the greatest of the types and forms of worship. Now dua is something obviously we make all the time, we do all the time, and when we look in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, we see there are many supplications which, which are general outside of the time of Ramadan. Like the adhkar of the morning and the evening and likewise after the salawat, after the prayers. So all of this is very general. However, when we come to Ramadan itself, we see that there are some specific types of dua or specific situations in which dua is made. And again, this is connected back to the issue of Tawheed and taking opportunity of making dua in these specific circumstances. So for example, the first of those is a dua at the time of iftar. And from Ibn Umar who said that the messenger of Allah Sallam, he said uh, whenever he would basically make, break his fast, he would say Allah. The general meaning of which is that the uh, thirst has gone and the veins have been uh, moistened or whatever, something similar to that meaning, and the reward is established 
if Allah wills. And likewise, uh, we see that in, in within Ramadan in general, we see that the Muslims, they make the Dua'ul Qunut, uh, they pray the Qunut prayer, and within there, there is a specific wording from Al-Hasan bin Ali, who said that the Messenger of Allah, he taught me words which I should say in the Qunut of Witr. And they are as follows, Allahumma ahdini fi man hadayt, wa'afini fi man afayt, wa tawallani fi man tawallayt, wa barikli fi ma a'atayt, waqini sharra ma qadayt. So these are tremendous words which manifest the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. O oh Allah, guide me amongst those whom you guide. Guidance and misguidance is in the hand of Allah Azza wa Jal. And grant me safety or grant me pardon amongst those to, uh, amongst those to whom you grant pardon. Allah is the one who forgives. Forgiveness only comes from Allah Azza wa Jal. وَتَوَلَّنِي فِي مَنْ تَوَلَّيْتِ وَبَارِكْ لِي فِي مَا أَعْطَيْتِ وَقِنِي شَرَّ مَا قَضَيْتِ All of these are affairs to do with uh, the qada and the qadr of Allah Azza wa Jal and the blessings that Allah gives to a servant and the evil that he prevents him from and so on and so forth. فَإِنَّكَ تَقْضِي For indeed you are the one who decrees and decides. But none can decree over you. And indeed there is none, the one to whom you show loyalty, there is none to humiliate. He will not be humiliated. You are the one blessed, O our Lord, and you are the exalted. So these again we see are tremendous uh, words in this, in, within this supplication in Qunut that the Muslims uh, repeat. Likewise also we must stick to the Sunnah. Uh, whenever we make these supplications, and there's a point here from uh, Shaykh Ibn Uthaymeen, ta'ala, he says about supplication in general, and specifically about in the Qunud prayer, he says that to increase above and beyond this what we see in the Sunnah, he says, لا There's no harm in this, because uh, when it is established that this situation in Qunud is a situation of prayer, and also that no... Um, even though this dua has been specified, it has not been prohibited from making other additional duas. However, the foundation is that a person can make dua with whatever he wills, but as long as he starts with that which is clearly established. So as long as you start with what is, what is preserved in the sunnah, you make that the asal, you make that the foundation, and you always begin with that first, then there's no harm if you want to make other supplications for other affairs because we have not been prohibited from from doing that there's no harm in that and this is the statement of Shaykh Ibn Taymiyyah and likewise there's a statement from Ibn Taymiyyah and the, the gist of the statement I won't read it all because it's lengthy the gist of the statement he says that there is no doubt that the adhkar and the da'awat they are from the greatest of the acts of worship and these have to be based upon a tawqif which means that they have to be restricted to the Quran and to the Sunnah. Not upon one's desires, not upon inventions and innovations. So he says the best of the supplications are the adhkar and the ad'iyah and nabawiyyah, the prophetic supplications. So whatever we see in the, the, from the Prophet then it is best to stick to those. In respect to you know, uh, the dhikr and dua, 
they are the best of what can be made in terms of adhikr and dua. And as for other affairs from the adhkar, we find that maybe they could be unlawful or they could be disliked or sometimes they could contain shirk within them. And so for that reason, it is best to always stick to the guidance of uh, the Prophet ﷺ. And then he says it's not for anyone to basically start instituting certain adhkar and certain adhiyah other than the ones which we know are established from the sunnah in a sense where he wants people to repeat them and say them continuously as we do with those which are clearly reported in the sunnah. He says this is the foundation and the beginning point of ibtida, of innovation and innovating that which Allah has not granted any permission for. So the point being in all of this, first of all, the excellence of ad-du'a, of ad-du'a in a general sense and his connection to the tawheed of Allah azawajal and then specifically in Ramadan, making use of one's opportunities in order to make as much dua to Allah as possible. And then there are specific times, for example, when you break fast, and likewise in, in the witr, in the qunut of the witr, uh, this is for the, you know, when the imam reads the, uh, the qunut in the witr, then all of these are situations in, when, in which we see an emphasis on making dua to Allah Finally, we see that the dua of the sa'im, of the fasting person, is mustajaba. It is answered in the hadith, thalathu da'awatin mustajabat, da'watul sa'im, wa da'watul musafir, wa da'watul madhloom. There are three supplications which are answered, which are responded to. The supplication of the sa'im, the fasting person, the supplication of the musafir, the traveler, and the supplication of the mazloom, the one who is oppressed. The one who is oppressed. So all of this, this is the first objective of a Muslim, is that he is resolved to make dua to Allah as often and as frequently as possible, but sticking to the prophetic supplications, the prophetic adhkar, and attaching one's heart to Allah, and knowing full well that no supplication will go unrewarded. As we established, either Allah will respond to your supplication or He will repel, unknown to you, an evil that might have otherwise come to you. And that's why a person should never ever despair of making dua, nor should he ever say, I made dua to Allah for months and months and months, for weeks and weeks and weeks, for years and years and years. And he didn't respond to me. This, this is the sign of, of a jahil person, ignorant person, and an ungrateful person. Because unbeknown to that person, Allah in return for, for his du'as, Allah might have been repelling harms and evils that might have otherwise come to him, to his body, to his person, to his health, to his wealth, to his, wealth, to his possessions, to his family. Right? So many evils could have been repelled from him, unbeknown to him. That's why a person should never, ever, ever complain about dua not being answered. Because just by virtue of making dua, that person will benefit in one of three ways. Either he will get what he asked for, or evil and harm will be repelled from him, from, from what Allah decrees. Or on Yawmul Qiyamah, he will be recompensed in full for his dua. So, all of this... Collectively, we'll finish with this on the issue of ad-du'a. Ad-du'a is from the manifestations of tawheed. So it is upon us 
to make use of this inshallah ta'ala in Ramadan and to make and to understand the connection of dua with the tawheed of Allah and make it frequently and upon what we find in the sunnah of the messenger of Allah so this is point number four uh, and so we move to point number five and this is the second of the objectives of a Muslim behind Ramadan behind his fasting a person should always think that behind his fasting there's a goal that he's trying to attain what is that goal so from from the attainment of that goal is ta'ala, to actualize the muraqaba the observance or, or, or basically uh, acting in a manner in which you are aware that Allah is observant of, of you. So you are mindful and observant of Allah This is your goal behind the fasting, that by the end of Ramadan, you have, be, you, you have greater muraqaba than when you started. So what does it mean? What does muraqaba mean? The answer to that is given in a tremendous statement by Ibn al-Qayyim, Rahimahullahu ta'ala, who explains al-muraqaba in connection to the names of Allah Azza wa Jal. So he says, Inna muraqabat Allahi hiya ta'abudu bismihi al-raqib, al-hafiz, al-alim, al-sami' al-basir, faman aqala hadihi al-asma' wa ta'abada bi muqtadaha hasalat lahu al-muraqaba. So he says, the muraqaba of Allah, it's a hard word to put into a single word in English, the muraqaba of Allah, basically to, to be mindful and observant of Allah's knowledge of you. So he says the muraqaba of Allah, it is to worship him through his names, through his name of ar-raqib. Ar-raqib means the one who is watchful, ever watchful. Al-hafiz. Al-Hafiz means the one who is guarding, meaning he's watching and preserving. He is, he, uh, is, is watching over you and safeguards and, and, and is, knows everything about you, is preserving everything about you. Al-Alim, the one who is all-knowing, so he has knowledge about you. Al-Sami' the one who hears everything that emanates from you. Al-Basir, the one who sees everything that you do. These are five names of Allah Azawajal. And... He says, whoever understands and comprehends these names, what they mean, and worships Allah by what they require from him, hasalat lahu al-muraqaba. This will then, he will acquire al-muraqaba. So this tremendous statement connects this muraqaba of Allah. Again, we see tawheed again. It connect, connects to the names of Allah, the five names that we mentioned that they bring about this great and tremendous act of worship, al-muraqaba, which a person seeks by way of his fasting. And so this indicates to us, we can give a number of other examples to show how the names of Allah Azawajal, how they affect tawheed al-ibadah, the ibadah of a person. Ibn al-Qayyim gave us one example here in this short statement. We can also say, for example, let's take... Um, the names of Allah, Ar-Razzaq, Allah is Ar-Razzaq, the one who provides and sustains, Dhul-Quwwatil Mateen, and that he is the possessor of, you know, intense uh, power and ability. So when, when, a, when a person reflects upon 
these names of Allah this then brings about in an individual a tawakkul he will develop the station or this act of worship of a tawakkul because he knows Allah is ar-razzaq and dhul quwwatil mateen that all sustenance comes by way of him so here now we have a connection between the names of Allah and how these names they bring about they they actualize this worship in the heart of a servant in this case it is tawakkul so there are certain names that are tied to a certain type of worship as ibn al-qayyim has indicated al-muraqaba allah knows everything sees everything hears everything is watchful over everything preserves and guards over everything this now makes a believer have muraqaba likewise for tawakkul and taking the ways and the means there are names and attributes of allah that draw out these traits and qualities in a believer likewise we can say when we see in the quran we read in the quran shadidul iqab that he allah is shadidul iqab and the tawl that he is one who is severe in punishment and that he has a far reach that you can't hide and escape from him but he has a far reach an easy reach you are in easy reach of allah and that he is severe and intense in punishment this now draws out of the believer from in his heart fear al khawf and and you know aspiration uh, apprehension that a person becomes fearful so this brings about the worship of the heart likewise we see in the, the other side to fear we read that allah azza is at tawwab al ghaffar al ghafur ar rahman ar rahim and these names which draw out in a person hope ar raja he has hope in allah azza and he doesn't despair of the mercy of allah azza so you can see how from all of these different ways the names and attributes of allah azza they draw out from the hearts of the servant the heart that knows like ibn qayyim said faman aqala hadhihi al-asma the one who understands these names and worships allah by way of them then he will acquire and attain al-muraqaba in the example that he gave and in the examples that were given at tawakkul and khawf and ar-raja and so on and so forth so we see that with respect to fasting in particular we are focusing upon al-muraqaba why because fasting is a secret between you and your lord it's a secret you can be hidden away from the eyes of the people and you can break your fast if you want you can engage in what is unlawful uh, you, you know whether it is with the tongue whether it is with the ears whether it is with the eyes whether it is the heart you can engage it with, in what is unlawful no one can see you and no one can find fault with you so the aspect of al muraqaba is emphasized in fasting and this in turn relates back to these names of allah azza wajal and once again we see the connection to the tawhid of allah azza wajal in this tremendous action of worship and we see ibn al-qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala he says wal sawm ta'thirun ajibun fi hifz al-jawarih al-zahira wal quwa al-batina he says for fasting there is an amazing effect in the protection of one's outward limbs likewise the inward strengths and faculties and then he speaks about how uh, fasting is something that basically safeguards the heart and the limbs it, it keeps them healthy it keeps your limbs and your heart to be healthy and 
it returns them back to the healthy condition that they used to be in after they had been made ill and sick by way of the shahawat. So whatever shahawat made your body become ill, meaning fall into sins, and your heart become ill, meaning by way of you know, whatever lust that you pursued, fasting is something, he says, it, it repairs it and brings it back. And it keeps it sound. So we see again from this the, the beneficial effect of fasting in rectifying a, a person. So likewise upon a servant when he fasts therefore in keeping with this uh, notion of al-muraqaba when a person fasts it is not just your body that fasts it is your hearing that is fasting as well. Right? So this is what we mean. There is an aspect of fasting which is hissi it is physical and those are the three main things no food no drink and no relations no sexual relations right this is your body from a, from a, uh, it, this is hissi physical things and then there are those things which are ma'nawi which are conceptual and so you your ears fast meaning they refrain from certain things from listening to certain things and likewise your tongue should be fasting should be fasting from speech that is haram from lying from backbiting and from things of that nature, evil speech. And likewise, uh, 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 you know, from things of that nature. And so, all of your faculties are basically fasting. And likewise, you should be upon uh, serenity and calmness the day that you are fasting. And do not make the day that you are fasting and the day that you are not fasting to be the same. You cannot be the same. On the day that you are fasting, then you have to perceive and feel that there is muraqaba. And that your eyes, your tongue, your, your ears and everything is, is fasting in, in, the, in, the, in the sense that it's supposed to be fasting. And that you notice a clear difference between that day when you're fasting and from the day that you are not fasting. They cannot be equal. You should perceive that difference. And we see from Abi, Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu an athar, a narration related back to him. Al-ghibatu tahriqu sawm wal-istighfaru yuraqi'uhu so this is a tremendous statement. He says, backbiting is something that damages the fast. So Abu Huraira gave an example by way of backbiting. It could apply to any other sin, right? Any other sin. Fasting can either be invalidated completely. So you break your fast or on purpose or whatever. Or it can be damaged. A fast can be damaged. There are certain things that damage your fast, but they don't break your fast. So he says, backbiting damages a fast. And istighfar, seeking forgiveness from Allah, patches or mends the fast. So whoever is able, whoever is able to bring a fast, which is muraqa, which is a mended, patched up fast, let him do so. So this, indicates to us that you might bring a fast which you have harmed and damaged because of certain actions that you have fallen into but you still have the chance of mending that fast you can you can reach iftar having mended and and, and repaired your fast having stitched it up and repaired it this is the meaning of the word muraqqa uh, a mended a patched up fast the word itself comes from stitching when you stitch and sew something right so you've patched up the fast so if you fall into a sin, if you do something that you know is going to harm the reward for your fast, 
No problem. You can make tawbah to Allah. You can make istighfar. You can patch that fast up and still reach iftar. If you do so, it is better to do so with a patched up fast than to do with a damaged fast. And Ibn Rajab, rahimahullah ta'ala, he comments upon this uh, statement. And uh, he, he says, فَسِيَامُنَا هَذَا يَحْتَاجُ إِلَى نَافِعٍ Our fasting is something that is in need of seeking forgiveness that will be of benefit to it. And likewise, righteous action that will intercede for our fast. Because how often do we damage our fast by way of speech? And then we mend it and we repair it. And he says that, you know, how quickly can harm come to, you know, uh, basically to a fast. So he says the intent here is that a person who wants to fast in the true sense of the word, then let him preserve his head, preserve his head from what might come into it and his body from what it might contain. Let him remember death and let him desire the hereafter. Let him leave the beautification of the world. And this is what will lead him to the actual true Eid of Fitr, right? The celebration, which is when he meets his Lord, this is when he will be pleased with seeing Allah Azawajal. So basically, Ibn Rajab is basically saying that obviously we can patch up the fast, we can mend the fast, and we can meet, you know, Allah Azawajal like this, but it is better for a person to prevent himself from that to begin with. And this is by remembering death and desiring the hereafter and so on and so forth and realizing that the reward is with Allah Azawajal. So we'll conclude with that uh, there. So point number five is that a person should be seeking to increase in his muraqaba of Allah Azawajal. That he knows Allah Azawajal is seeing him and observing him. And fasting is the greatest of deeds through which a person can develop that state and that quality. Why? Because the nature of fasting itself is such is that it is indeed a secret between a servant and his Lord and it carries all those meanings within it. This leads us now to the next objective of a believer in Ramadan or through his fasting and this is Tilawatul Qur'an the recitation of the Qur'an. Ramadan is the month of the Qur'an. The Qur'an was revealed in the month of, <coughs> in the month of Ramadan and the entire Qur'an is Tawheed. And you have come across the statement of Ibn al-Qayyim in Madarij al-Salikeen in which he explains that every ayah in the Qur'an comprises Tawheed and witnesses to the Tawheed and calls to Tawheed. Then he goes on to explain, again we'll summarize the statement here for, for shortage of time. Basically he goes on to explain that in the Qur'an, the Qur'an contains five types of knowledge. Every ayah in the Qur'an will be in one of five categories. And they are as follows. First of all, he says, فَإِنَّ الْقُرْآنِ إِمَّا خَبْرٌ عَنِ اللَّهِ وَأَسْمَاهِ وَصِفَاتِهِ وَأَفْعَالِهِ فَهُوَ التَّوْحِيدَ الْعِلْمِ الْخَبَرِ So either the Qur'an is providing knowledge about Allah, information about Allah, His names and His attributes and His actions. So any verse that you read, it may contain Allah's names, His attributes or His actions, right? 
So this now is conveying to you the Tawheed of Allah's names and his attributes and of his rububiyyah. Or, that's number one. Or, number two, it is inviting you to worship him alone without any partners and to abandon everything that is worshipped besides him. So this now is a tawheed al-iradi al-talbi. This now is the tawheed, basically it's a tawheed of uluhiyah, the tawheed of ibadah, the tawheed of singling out Allah in worship. So an ayah might contain a, a, a command for you to worship Allah alone, or to abandon the worship of others besides Allah That's a second type of khabar in the, in the Qur'an, or the second, second type of ayah in the Qur'an. Or thirdly, وَإِمَّا أَمْرٌ وَنَحْيٌ وَإِلْزَامٌ بِطَاعَتِهِ فِي نَحْيِهِ وَأَمْرِهِ فَهِيَ حُقُوقُ التَّوْحِيدِ وَمُكَمَّلَاتِهِ Or the Qur'an is either it is commanding you, or it is prohibiting you, and it is making obedience binding upon you with respect to Allah's commands and prohibitions. So this now is the rights of Tawheed. Right? Everything that is in the Sharia, the commands, the prohibitions, this is actually from the rights that follow on from Tawheed. So this now would include all of the Ahkam, all of the Ibadat, all of the commands, prohibitions. So either a verse... The, uh, so any verse could contain this information, commands and prohibitions. This now is the third type. The fourth type, he says, is information about how Allah Zawajal, He honors the people of Tawheed, about the people of Tawheed, the prophets, their followers, the messengers, their followers, about them and how He honored them, how they obeyed Him, how He supported them, what they did in the life of this world, how He honored them, in the hereafter and how he rewards them all of this is centered around the reward for Tawheed and its people so a large number of verses they speak about the people of Tawheed who are the prophets and messengers foremost and their followers and how Allah how he honored them aided them supported them and rewards them with the greatest of rewards so, akhbar related to the whole of that. That's number four. That's what, that's what you'll find in the Quran. Or number five, وَإِمَّا خَبْرٌ عَنْ أَهْلِ الشِّرْكِ وَمَا فَعَلَ بِهِمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا مِنَ النَّكَالِ And to the end of what he said, and all it is, information about the people of shirk and what he did with them in this dunya of retribution and the punishment that came to them. And so this is information about those who departed from tawheed. Unlike the group before who adhered to Tawheed. So akhbar about them, their actions, their deeds, how Allah punished them, and so on and so forth. So you find that in the Quran are these five types of knowledge. So every ayah falls into one of these five categories. Right? It is either information about his names, attributes and actions, his rubiyah, or it is calling you to Tawheed and prohibiting you from shirk, which is uluhiyah. Or it is the legislation of Allah Azawajal, the ahkam, which is from the rights of Tawheed. Or it is about the prophets and messengers and those who are from their followers, the people of Tawheed, and the reward that belongs to them. Or it is those who depart from Tawheed and are from the people of Shirk and how Allah Azawajal uh, treated them. And examples are given from the nations of the past. So we see that the whole Quran, the entire Quran is Tawheed. And it was revealed in Ramadan.
It was revealed in the month of Ramadan and specifically on Laylatul Qadr. So, a believer in Ramadan, what is he going to be concerned with? There are two things, the huruf and the ma'ani. The Quran is, is the words, we concentrate on the words, we learn the words, and likewise the ma'ani, the meanings, which means that we memorize and we recite, and likewise we focus upon the meanings. So in this regard, there are two statements from Ibn Taymiyyah and uh, Ibn Al-Qayyim likewise. So he says, وَمِن ذَلِكَ تَعْلِيمْ حُرُوفِهِ وَمَعَانِيهِ جَمِيعًا بَلْ تَعَلُّمُ مَعَانِيهِ هُوَ الْمَقْسُودُ الْأَوَّلْ بِتَعْلِيمِ حُرُوفِهِ He says, that meaning uh, to teach the huruf, the actual wording of the Qur'an, and likewise the meanings together. However, to learn the meanings is the actual intent behind learning the words. So you're not just memorizing and repeating. The intent is the actual meanings, to grasp the meanings. And that is the first intent and the first goal behind learning the Qur'an. Because he says, this is what will increase Iman. It is the meanings that will increase you in Iman, when you ponder over the meanings of the, of the Qur'an. And Ibn al-Qayyim says, وَتَعَلُّمُ الْقُرْآنَ وَتَعْلِيمُهُ يَتَنَاوَلْ تَعَلُّمَ حُرُوفِهِ وَتَعْلِيمَهَا وَتَعَلُّمَ مَعَانِيهِ وَتَعْلِيمَهَا وَهُوَ أَشْرَفْ قِسْمَيْ عِلْمِهِ وَتَعْلِيمِهِ فَإِنَّ الْمَعْنَى هُوَ الْمَقْصُودِ He says, to learn the Qur'an and to teach it, what does it mean? It means, it, it includes two things. To learn the huruf and to teach them. Meaning the wording of the Qur'an and to teach it. And to learn its meanings and to teach them. And this is the most noble of the two types of knowledge and the two types of teaching. Because it is the meaning which is maqsood. It is the meaning which is actually intended. So, this means that the greatest of the two things is not that you just recite the Qur'an and think, right, I'm going to read the whole Qur'an, which is reading the huruf, but rather let me extract the meanings of what I am reading. This is the greatest goal and the greatest objective. So perhaps there might be a person who will read the entire Qur'an, he will every day he will you know, read a juz or something, and he's finished the whole Qur'an. Now, this person now has concentrated on the huruf of the Qur'an. But perhaps another person, he will uh, read and he will concentrate upon the, the, the meaning. So maybe he will go back to the tafsir of al-Sa'di or something and ayah by ayah. He will stop and look and take the basic, you know, the, the meaning from the ayah and reflect upon it and spend time upon it. And so by the end of Ramadan, this person, because he concentrated upon the ma'ani, then he will be of greater benefit than the one who concentrated on the huruf. Even though we are not belittling concentrating on the huruf either. Because reciting the Qur'an has a tremendous reward to it as well. So obviously we're not belittling you know, recitation of the Qur'an. But what we are saying is that to concentrate upon the meanings is the primary objective. Right? So a believer should try to fill his heart with the meanings of what he is reading. Because that is what is going to increase him in Iman. But as for reading the Huruf recitation, that will bring him reward. No doubt it will bring him reward. But it may not bring him in an increase in, in Iman, because so long as he is not focusing upon, upon the meaning so much.
So it's important to understand that distinction between these, these two things as indicated by Ibn al-Qayyim and Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn al-Taymiyyah So in the, Quran, in the Ramadan, obviously the recitation of the Quran is emphasized because it is the month in which the Quran was revealed. شَحْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنَ هُدًا لِلنَّاسِ وَبَيِّنَاتِ مِنَ الْهُدَى وَالْفُرْقَانَ The month of Ramadan is the one in which the Quran was revealed. Guidance for mankind and clear manifest uh, evidences of, of guidance and, crit and the criterion in Surah Al-Baqarah. Likewise, we find, in fact, all of the revealed books were actually sent down in Ramadan. We have a hadith which is declared Hassan by Shaykh al-Bani in his Silsila al-Sahihah. And in this hadith, uh, we, it is the hadith of Wathila uh, anhu. Unzilat suhufu Ibrahim awwala laylatin min Ramadan. So the scrolls of Ibrahim al-Islam were revealed on the first night of Ramadan. وَأُنزِلَتِ التَّوْرَاتِ لِسِتِّنْ مَذِينَ مِنْ رَمَضَانِ مَذِينَ مِنْ رَمَضَانِ And the Torah was revealed after six days had passed, or six had passed, didn't say day or night. Six, um, I assume it's night, six nights had passed after Ramadan. وَأُنزِلَ الْإِنْجِيلِ لِثَلَاثَ عَشْرَةَ لَيْلَةً خَلَتْ مِنْ رَمَضَانِ And the Injil the Gospel of Jesus of Isa was revealed after 13 nights had passed of Ramadan. وَأُنزِلَ الزُّبُورِ And as Zabur was revealed after 18 nights, it doesn't say nights, but I assume it's nights from the context, nights had passed from Ramadan. وَأُنزِلَ الْقُرْآنِ لِأَرْبَعٍ وَعِشْرِينَ خَلَتْ مِنْ رَمَضَانِ and the Qur'an was revealed after 24 had passed from Ramadan. So all of these books from the Suhuf of Ibrahim the Torah of Musa the Zabur of Dawood the Injil of Isa and the Qur'an of Muhammad all of them were revealed in the Qur'an. So this indicates you once more that the Qur'an which is this uncreated speech of Allah and which is a completion of whatever Allah sent to the messengers that came before him. All of this indicates the tremendous uh, nature of Ramadan and of fasting itself. And because the Quran came to establish the Tawheed of Allah then again once more we see the connection between fasting and, and, and the Quran and the Tawheed of Allah and we see that from the uh, Ibn Abbas عنه, who says that the Messenger of Allah was the most generous of people in Ramadan. And in Ramadan he was most generous and he would meet Jibreel السلام, and Jibreel would meet him every night from Ramadan and would present, uh, the Messenger of Allah would recite the Quran to him and whenever Jibreel السلام, would meet him, meet him, we would find that the Messenger of Allah would be the most generous of people, he would be more generous than we see, than a wind that would be sent. Meaning he would have more goodness and display more goodness and khair than whatever goodness a wind would bring with it. Meaning 
of rain and things of mercy and things that the rain tends to bring with it. The, the, the wind, sorry. So this then is the, the recitation of the Qur'an. So a believer should be seeking ad-du'a, increase in ad-du'a, and connecting that to the Tawheed of Allah Azawajal. And it's a great connection with the Tawheed of Allah Azawajal. Likewise, the muraqaba of Allah, establishing his muraqaba of Allah, and how the muraqaba of Allah is tied to those names of Allah, Al-Raqib, Al-Hafid, Al-Alim, Al-Sami' Al-Basir. So establishing his Tawheed from that angle. And likewise here, the recitation of the Qur'an, all of the Qur'an is Tawheed, from those five aspects that, that we mentioned. And to focus upon the ma'ani, more so than the huruf, than the actual wordings. Why? Because that is what will bring the increase in his iman. And how again that is connected to Ramadan. This leads us to number seven, a seventh object, or the, the point number seven, and the fourth objective. And this is تحقيق التقوى Actualizing taqwa of Allah Azza wa Jal And this is in fact the stated objective behind fasting We see that Allah Azza wa Jal He said in the very ayah in which He commanded fasting يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا قُتِبَ عَلِيكُمُ الصِّيَامِ كَمَا قُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ O you who believe fasting has been prescribed upon you As it was upon those before you in order that you may achieve or attain taqwa. And a taqwa, as you know, what, it, what does it mean to be pious? It means that you give obedience to Allah upon a light from Allah, meaning upon knowledge and understanding, hoping for the reward of Allah. As in the statement of Talq bin Habib, uh, that you obey Allah upon a light from Him, meaning upon knowledge and understanding, hoping for the reward of Allah. And you abandon disobedience to Allah upon a light from Allah, fearing the punishment of Allah. So this is what is meant by at-taqwa. This is what it means. Scholars have given other explanations as well from the most common or popular of them, is that the taqwa of Allah, what does it mean? It means that you put between yourself and between the punishment of Allah, a barrier. This is another meaning or explanation of a taqwa. And others have explained, they say a taqwa is like when you are walking on a ground in which there are thorns that can harm you. So you walk with care, you, tread, you lift up your garment and you walk steadily so that you are not harmed. Meaning that this is how you proceed upon your deen, upon caution, upon care. And, you know, taking this, being aware of danger. This is the meaning of at-taqwa. All of these are ways in which at-taqwa has been um, explained. Al-Baghawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says about this verse that we read. He says, this verse, meaning to obtain taqwa by way of fasting. لِأَنَّ الصَّوْمُ وَصْلَةٌ إِلَى التَّقْوَى Fasting is a means to reach at-taqwa. Because within it, there is subduing your soul you are conquering your soul you are breaking the shahawat you are dissolving the shahawat and it, it is also said that because you keep away from the shahawat of eating drinking and relations then this is what is meant by attaining at-taqwa attaining at-taqwa 
And likewise, Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, لِأَنَّ الصَّوْمْ فِيهِ تَزْكِيَةٌ لِلْبَدَنْ Within fasting, there is the purification of the body. And it, it limits the, the ways in which shaitan, you know, he approaches and comes and approaches. And that's why we see in the, the hadith, O youths, O gathering of the youths, whoever amongst you is able to get married, then let him get married. And whoever is not able to, then upon him is fasting, for indeed it is for him a wijah, meaning it is something that dampens him and weakens him so that he doesn't fall into pursuing his lusts and his desires. So fasting has that effect upon an individual. It, re it, it removes the ability of the shaitan to flow through him and to pass through him. And it is easier for a person in that state, in, the, in that condition, to uh, have the taqwa of Allah Azza wa Jal. So the fifth objective, or the fourth or the fifth objective, I've lost count now, I think it is the fourth, uh, that a believer should be seeking is to acquire the state of a taqwa of Allah Azza wa Jal. And a person should focus upon this, considering the fact that his days are numbered, your days are already written in the decree of Allah Azza wa Jal. You don't know when you will be taken away. This could be your last Ramadan. The days have been written, the provision has been written. And these seasons of goodness, the mawasim of khayr, so for example, Ramadan is a season of goodness in the Islamic calendar. Likewise, the 10 days in the, around the days of Hajj are the days of, of, of goodness. And likewise, at the beginning of, in Muharram, there are, there are certain times in which Allah ha, have, has given us to benefit from. And so Ramadan is one of those such things. If you are not actively pursuing to become more pious, and you are not more pious by the end of Ramadan, then you, you haven't benefited from Ramadan. It's a waste. You've wasted your, you wasted your time. And this could be the last Ramadan that you ever, that you, that, that you will come across. Maybe Allah has decreed for you that you will be taken in the next, before the next Ramadan. So this is the fourth objective that a believer seeks. And again, this is connected to the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. Having Taqwa of Allah is connected to his Tawheed as is apparent. This leads us to the final objective, the fifth objective that a person should uh, keep in his mind. And this is tazkiyatun nafs, the purification of the soul, to purify his soul. With fasting, a person is purifying his body, is cleansing his body. His body is withholding from food and drink, which at other times are the cause of his falling into sin, his sluggishness, his inability to think clearly and, and, and so on and so forth. This is what food and drink does to you, especially when taken in excess. When he fasts, that influence is not there anymore. And so shaitan is unable to flow in his blood in the same way that he is outside of Ramadan. And so just like the body you know, benefits from fasting in that sense, then similarly a person's soul, he needs to purify that soul as well, to make tazkiyah to nafs. So how does that person achieve this? Well, first of all in the Quran, Allah he says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا This is in general, that the one who, who purifies the soul, he's the one who will rejoice and, and win and succeed. And the one who... Uh, uh, the one who corrupts and, and makes it impure 
then he's the one who will be the loser. This month of Ramadan and specifically the act of worship of fasting is the greatest of affairs by which a person can make tazkiyah to nafs. And we've already seen in what's preceded in, in our uh, lecture in the first part and so on and so forth, how the action of fasting, the manifesto, manifestation of tawheed within fasting is tremendous. And so it is one of the greatest of means by which a person can achieve tazkiyatun nafs. So we see in the hadith, inna shaytan yajri min ibn adam majrad dam. Indeed shaytan, he flows within the son of Adam just like the blood flows through him. And likewise we see uh, that the Ramadan huwa shahrun tufattahu fihi abwabul jannah wa tughallakhu fihi abwabul nar abwabul nar wa tusaffadu shayateen Ramadan is the one in which the doors of paradise are opened and the doors to the hellfire are closed and the shayateen are chained. They are chained together. So this means that basically a believer, look at all these different angles. Number one, you are not, uh, your body is deprived of food and drink. So your body is free of the circumstances in which shaitan can free, freely pass through your body. Likewise, your appetite for your desires is dampened and weakened, right? So he's the first thing that is happening in, uh, in, uh, in Ramadan. Secondly, the shayateen are locked away. Right? So the, the stubborn shayateen are locked away. Uh, they are unable, first of all, to come into you and flow amongst, uh, uh, be, uh, among you because of your fasting, first of all. Secondly, they are actually chained. Uh, secondly, and so... Within this condition that you are in, it is the easiest of circumstances in which you can make tazkiyatun nafs, the purification of your soul. So, this is why a person should turn to Allah, turn to actions of obedience, turn to dhikr, to uh, trim his soul and to you know, remove from it all of its diseases and its calamities and its shortcomings and to use as much of his time as possible with the Quran, with dua, with you know so on and so forth, to try to purify his soul. We see that from the great supplications of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu is the following mighty supplication related by Muslim and others uh, that he used to say, "Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-ajzi wal kasl." Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from incapacity, from being incapable or unable. And laziness, and from cowardliness, and from niggardliness, being greedy and stingy. These are all the harms that come to people at different levels. You could be someone who's just lazy, your day goes, you've done nothing beneficial. You're sluggish, you're tired, for whatever reason. Either you're just lazy, maybe you've eaten too much, you've gone to, you've gone to excess, or you've eaten the wrong foods. Just sluggish and lazy and... and, and incapacitated seek refuge in Allah from that and take the ways and means to avoid that situation so allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-ajzi wal kasr wal jubni wal bukhl and from being a cowardly this is now from the diseases of the heart you are a coward you are scared of 
it could be different things, worldly harms, worldly calamities. You are scared of the uh, disbelievers and things like that, with a fear that is not, not permissible and not natural and not justifiable. And this is cowardliness. Walbukhal, that you are stingy and greedy. This is now the heart being attached to monetary things and material things. All of these are now diseases of the heart. Walharam, walharami wa adabil qabr, and likewise of senility in old age. And from the punishment of the grave. Allahumma aati nafsi taqwaha. This now connects to our previous two objectives. Taqwa and tazkiyatun nafs. O Allah, Allahumma aati nafsi taqwaha. O Allah, give my soul its piety. Grant my soul its piety. Wazakkiha. And purify it. This is tazkiyatun nafs. Anta khayru man zakkaha. For indeed you are the best of, of the one who can, uh, the best of who purifies it. Anta waliyuha wa mawlaha. You are its wali and its mawla. You are the, the, you are the master. You are the one in control and you are the master of my soul. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ilmin la yanfa' O Allah, I seek refuge in you from knowledge which does not benefit. Wa min qalbin la yakhsha. And from a heart which does not have awe of you, fear of you. Wa min nafsin la tashba' And from a soul which is not content and satisfied. And from a dua that is not responded to. So look at how in this hadith, the Messenger of Allah he supplicated for two things. He asked Allah to give his soul its taqwa and to give and, and to purify his soul. So we should use Ramadan to achieve these two tremendous objectives, which is to make yourself acquire the taqwa of Allah, the objective behind fasting, and to purify your soul at a time when it is the easiest to purify your soul. Why? Because your body is not tied down and made sluggish by way of food and drink. Your lusts and desires are dampened. You, you, you can't physically, your body doesn't allow you to, to uh, desire them. And the shayateen have been locked up. And you see that the doors of khair have been opened up. This is the greatest time for you to acquire taqwa and for you to purify your soul. And so we see the Messenger of Allah making dua for these two things around the other things which are poisons of the heart and uh, blameworthy characteristics. And likewise from those four tremendous things at the end, from knowledge which doesn't benefit, a heart which does not fear, a soul which is not content and satisfied, and from a dua that is not answered. So this brings us to an end of the uh, the fifth objective that a person should be seeking. Uh, we mentioned from those things, first of all, a dua increasing in your dua and how dua is connected to the tawheed of Allah uh, Establishing the muraqaba, being more watchful of Allah because he's watchful of you. So you are more observant uh, and specifically the names and attributes of Allah that relate to that. Thirdly, the Qur'an, Ramadan is the month of the Qur'an, the revelation of the Qur'an. To recite the Qur'an but to focus upon the ma'ani more so than the huruf. Because the meanings are what bring about this iman and increase you in your iman. Likewise, tahqiq taqwa actualizing taqwa, and likewise purifying the soul. So if you put these five things between you in front of your eyes, that these five things I'm going to... Uh, start at the beginning of Ramadan, by the end of Ramadan, for each of these things, I'm, I can see that I physically benefited. My dua every day, I was making dua to Allah Azza wa Jal. 
I reflected upon the Quran, its meanings I understood. I studied certain sections of the Quran with the tafasir, and it increased me in my iman. Uh, number three, that you uh, become more observant of Allah, that Allah is watching you and hearing you and seeing you and, uh, and so on and so forth. Number five, you've actually attained more taqwa than what you started with and your soul is more clean and pure and relieved of its harms and maladies and, and so on and so forth. This is what you should be seeking and pursuing uh, through your fasting. So we finish by simply stating that once more we see that in the whole of Ramadan we see the rububiyyah of Allah Zawajal, the names and attributes of Allah Zawajal, and likewise the call to the uluhiyah of Allah Zawajal in all of the various ways that we, that we outlined. So Ramadan fasting is a month of uh, emphasis of the Tawheed of Allah Azzawajal. And so if you enter Ramadan thinking like this, linking it all to the Tawheed of Allah Azzawajal, you will acquire tremendous benefits from Ramadan. You will acquire tremendous benefits by entering Ramadan with this particular understanding and with this particular outlook. So we'll conclude our lesson uh, with that. We ask Allah Azzawajal to uh, benefit us from what we have heard and to give us tawfiq in implementing this in the month of Ramadan and we ask Allah Azzawajal to bless us uh, with, uh, in, with what is to come in the days of Ramadan by way of the siyam and the qiyam, the fasting and likewise the, the, the reading of the prayer. So with that we'll conclude our lecture there today walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa jazakumullahu khairan